0: The Packers picked Sammy Watkins over Julio Jones, and Julio is now going to a conference rival. Was it the right choice by Green Bay? Plus, how much scar tissue do you have as a Packer fan from the Mike McCarthy era and losing to teams you feel like you shouldn't? For a lot of fans, the answer is a lot. Why that isn't justified in the Matt LaFleur era. You are Locked On Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We're the table. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Hub. Every day. Touchdown. You're Locked On Packers. the locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm Peter Bacowski and I cover the Packers for the leap. A newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. The number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Thanks to those of you who make Locked on Packers your first listen every day. I had someone reach out to me yesterday and say, Hey, I can't make you my first listen if the show comes out late. Sorry. The show came out late yesterday. I had been traveling. We are back. We are here. Normal schedule. All of the good stuff is back with you. The Packers will be out on the field today, presumably. We will hear from Brian Gutekinds and Matt LaFleur today. Um, we're going to talk just a just a, a scosh about David Bakhtiari at the end of the show. I want to start at receiver because... I had planned to do this whole segment on Alan Lazard and then Julio Jones signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which throws the whole news cycle on its head and it throws Packers Twitter into a tizzy sports talk radio gets, uh, a, a lot of new content and Twitter gets to gas this move for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And... Uh, Interestingly, I think it's a much better move for the Bucs than it would have been for Green Bay precisely because the Buccaneers have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Julio Jones would not have to theoretically uh, shoulder the same sort of burden in Tampa that he would have had to in Green Bay in all likelihood. Before we get into the nitty gritty of this. Here's what essentially happened, I think, for the Packers from their perspective, they were going through the list of veteran options, knowing they needed to sign someone. Let's put Odell Beckham Jr. to the side for a moment because he's not going to be ready for a while. I have advocated for the Packers to sign him uh, and to do so basically whenever they want Um but they don't have any urgency to do that because he's not going to be ready to be on the field for months, if at all, frankly, in 2022. So now I'm I'm feeling like I might have said 2021 early in the show. Maybe I did. Let's go with it. We're going to leave it in. <laughs> um, so for, for the Packers, they had two veteran options that had familiarity with the system. And that could come in right away and compete. Neither, and this is important, neither were likely to be number one receivers. Julio Jones is not a number one at this point in his career. In Tennessee, you know he was sort of billed as this 1B. That never materialized because he wasn't able to stay on the field. And because physically he's just not the guy he used to be. Sammy Watkins hasn't been a number one in years, really, since his days in Buffalo. Uh, And so you bring him in as a solid, complimentary veteran. How much of that is faith in Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb and the rookies that you eventually bring in? Because remember when they signed Sammy Watkins? Uh, We did not know what their receiver room was going to look like uh, with the the draft and and everything that can potentially follow. There are still things that can happen in that room. But I think the Packers made the, the decision to go with the younger player, and by the way, not younger by a little bit, younger by a lot, and someone who, if they hit, in their mind, is more likely to or is more likely to hit a higher level of upside. I think that was the calculation. I, I think it's fair if you are the Packers to look at it that way. I also think it's fair for fans to say, I would have rather had Julio Jones. I personally would have rather signed Julio Jones. I I don't think though that the difference is that big. And I think the Packers also looked at the landscape and said, after you come out of the draft with Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs, if you want to add Samori Touré in there, you can. And with Al Lazard and Amari Rodgers, it doesn't make sense to have two of these aging, physically diminished veterans on the team to go out there and take reps away from the young players that you're excited about. This is a little bit of the Ted Thompson DNA. I think that makes sense. I don't think it would have been wise to sign both guys after the draft. Now, if you if you only come out of the draft with Christian Watson, and he's now on PUP, although it's not expected to be a long-term deal, um, then maybe you maybe you feel the need to go out and get someone else. But they come out with two, maybe three guys that they think can make their team. Randall Cobb is coming back. You have Amari Rodgers. And Al Nazard has the ability to be a much bigger part of this offense than we've seen. If you go back and you just look at the numbers, Sammy Watkins and Julio Jones had almost identical production last season. In 10 games, Julio Jones had 31 catches on 48 targets for 434 yards and a touchdown. Sammy Watkins in 9 games... Had 27 catches on 49 targets for 394 yards and a touchdown. A a four-catch difference, a 40-yard difference, and a one-target difference. Watkins was actually getting a higher target share um, per game than Julio was. You look at some of the advanced metrics. And I like this one a lot. If you look at pro football focus tracks, man coverage, okay, yards per route run in man coverage. And the reason I bring this up is there was a a little highlight tape that went around on Twitter yesterday of Julio Jones and the plays that he made. Almost all of them were against zone coverage and the ones that weren't were either play action or they were designed man beaters that were not Julio Jones winning one on run. Yards per route run versus man coverage in 2021. Julio Jones, 1.41. Al Lazard, 1.41. So, there are questions about Al Lazard's ability to beat man coverage. Julio Jones is apparently, according to some, some field tilter who's going to come in and, and, and change the game. The same... Productivity against man coverage. Last year, Sammy Watkins, 1.39. Essentially the same productivity against man coverage. They were equally adept at producing when faced with one-on-one coverage. And Julio Jones had higher percentage looks in those opportunities. He had one of the lowest average depth of targets of any of the top receivers Last season, 71st among qualifying receivers, guys with at least 15 targets against man coverage. Sammy Watkins was almost double average depth of target when facing man coverage. Nine yards or a little over eight yards and 15 yards. It was a huge difference in usage. And and so that creates more opportunities to be efficient because you're more likely to get an on-target throw you're more likely to make the catch and you're more likely to be able to have a chance to do something with it. Julio Jones does not look like the same player physically that he once was, does not create as a route runner like he once did. Does that mean that he wouldn't have been better than Romeo Dubs for the first six, eight, 10, even all season in 2022? I can't say for sure. I would say it's pretty likely he'd be better right now. But how does that affect the long-term trajectory of your team? And how much of an upgrade is he? And, and what is the upside difference? And if and if Al Mazzard is definitely going to be a big part of your team plan, and Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins are definitely going to be a big part of your team plan, how many reps are you taking away from Christian Watson? Who you need to hit. You need to be the guy, or at least something approximating the guy, sooner than later. You don't need two vets who are likely to break down to get to this point. Now, how does this tie into Alan Lazard? I mentioned him in the man coverage situation. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get it out on the podcast, but I will. And if you look at what what Julio Jones was last season, and, and I had gone back... And I had done the the study on what he looked like as a player in Tennessee and the way that they deployed him and the way that they use him. There were a lot of similarities to Alan Lazard. When they when he got targets, it was off of stacked formations and route combinations. It was off trips. It was off play action. Rarely was he singled up one on one as the X receiver. And it was just you go win. That's not what it was. I would say Alan Lazard, frankly, did it more often. uh, Although, you know, I'd I'd have to dig into the actual data. I'm I'm just talking anecdotally. Alan Lazard is similar in terms of size, although not athletically. Julio at his peak is unlike anything we've ever seen. But I think at this point in their respective careers, Lazard's a better athlete. Certainly, a better blocker. He's going to play the H sometimes if you want him to power slot. And I've said this before, and and I'm going to repeat it. the The advanced numbers on Alan Lazard are crazy. They're crazy. He has been so good in a small sample size, and and what I wanted to put put out there is. Lazard is going to be the sort of perfect distillation of a player who, in a smaller role, has thrived. And even as as his role has gotten bigger, has kept up that efficiency. So when you look at uh, his passer rating when targeted the last three seasons... Among players with at least 50 targets, according to Pro Football Focus. 12th, 13th, and 4th for Alan Lazard. His workload last season when he was 4th was the highest of any of those years. So he actually maintained his efficiency. Lazard was 4th in DVOA, Defense Adjusted Value Over Average, a football outsider stat in 2020, and 1st in DYAR, Yards above replacement among receivers who saw fewer than 50 targets in 2020. Okay. Give him more opportunities. He got them in 2021. He finished sixth in DVOA among receivers with 50 or more targets. And you can't just say it's Devonte Adams because Marquez Valdez Scantling was not an elite player. In fact, he was one of the worst starting receivers in the league in the advanced numbers despite the fact that he had a, a high per catch average and was the big play guy those smaller sample size guys with big playoff side tend to be the most valuable players in those kinds of metrics i say all that to say this al nazard For me, and I've always been higher on Alan Lazard than than most. I would rather him be a more featured part of this offense than have someone like Julio Jones on your team. I know that that's going to be crazy for some people. But that's how I feel about it. They are similar enough at this point in their career. I think Alan Lazard is more athletic. There's more juice down the field. I think he... Has certainly more upside. And I think if you look at the last few seasons, his arrow is pointing up. He is on the rise and there is more potential for him to get better for a player who is already one of the most efficient receivers in the league. Now, how does that change without Devontae Adams on the field? We'll see. But remember, Julio Jones was out there last year with A.J. Brown on the field. Now, not the whole season, of course, but Julio wasn't out there the whole season either. Sammy Watkins was out there playing number two to Hollywood Brown, not exactly, you know, Jerry Rice. And they produced at a similar rate. So I guess all of this is to say, again, that I don't think there's that much difference in Sammy Watkins versus Julio Jones. And frankly, I would rather Alan Lazard get the balance of the leftover targets than someone like Julio Jones. All right, we're going to talk about some scar tissue, some things that Packer fans are worried about in a little bit. But before we do, let's talk about Dave. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, catch up on bills. We could all use a little extra money from time to time. I can certainly think of times in my life when my paycheck did not stretch as far as I wanted it to. Dave can be the answer. If you're in a pinch and need some help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand for the future you. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E and sign up for the extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to Dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve member FDIC. So, I saw some projections from USA Today, Nate Davis, over at USA Today. And he projected the Packers at 11 and 6. And my initial reaction was, okay. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, wait, what? It's, it's hard to look at the schedule and find six losses. I mean, you really have to squint to find six losses. As I've said on this show a number of times this offseason, there are just two games right now in which the Packers are underdogs at Buffalo and at Tampa. They get the Rams and Cowboys at home. Eagles are in Philly, but they're still favored in that game. And I I heard from some fans, oh, well, they're going to, They're just going to lose some stupid ones because they always do. Well, they always did. Under Mike McCarthy. Or at least it seemed like they did. And it's not that they haven't lost games that they should have won under Matt LaFleur. In fact, I think there are a number of games that the Packers have lost to teams that we would say are, are worse than them. And certainly that finish the season worse than them and finish the season, you know, below them in DVOA and, and, and the numbers that we look at and, and that help us assess team quality by record, all that stuff. And in some cases, pretty far difference. Really just one or two cases like that. But they haven't really had that many games where you go, how do I lose to that team? How do they lose to that team? So I went back and looked. And the reason that I thought that is because in three years of Matt LaFleur coaching, the Packers have only lost 10 total games. And it's only nine in games that matter because they lost the Lions game in week 18 last year in a game that did not matter. And they lost a game in which Jordan Love played. So, they've really only lost eight times with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback in three seasons, which on its own is remarkable. But here are the teams that they've lost to. Let's take the full breadth of it the nine and seven Eagles, that team went to the playoffs. The five and 11 Chargers, kind of weird. The 13 and three 49ers, that team went to the Super Bowl. The 11 and five Bucks, that team won the Super Bowl. Seven and nine Vikings, eh, kind of a weird one, but that's a division game. The 11 and five Colts, that team went to the playoffs and that was on the road in a game that the Packers were driving to go tire win and MVS fumbled. The nine and eight Saints in one of the most W, I think, top two WTF outcomes of the Matloflor era. The 12 and 5 Chiefs, that team went to the playoffs. That was the Jordan Love game. And an 8 and 9 Vikings team. That was this past season in a shootout when Darnell Savage dropped two interceptions that would have sealed the game. The 5 and 11 Chargers team is the only game that they lost to a team more than two games under 500. And if you look at the division games, they lost to a below 500 Vikings team twice. Take the division games out. The Chargers game is the only weird one on the list. Coming off a bye, they just got beat up front. They didn't respond well. They were playing in that soccer stadium in like Carson, California or wherever that was. A very weird situation. It was mostly Packer fans. They just kind of no-showed. Something they did a couple times in 2019, including in the NFC Championship game. But you're talking about eight regular season losses. In three seasons, two of them came to teams that went to the Super Bowl, one in one in four losses, 25 percent of their losses in the last three years came to Super Bowl teams. Another 25 percent were to division opponents. That's just going to happen. And six of the eight losses were on the road. This team, generally speaking, does not just no show. They don't they don't trip over their ties. They don't fall into the bowl of soup. They just don't do that. Now, have they produced in the playoffs the way that you'd like them to? Not always. Not always. That's just the reality. But that scar tissue from the Mike McCarthy era where you have to worry about every team on the schedule because they might just not show up. That is really behind them. Now, week one last year, I think, again, that might be one you just throw out the window because Aaron Rodgers offseason, everything that happened there, they come out feeling themselves a little bit too much and they just get blown off the field. That game was never really close. All the other games were. The Packers, even in, in those Viking games, had chances late to win. I think you can make the case they should have won both those Vikings games had a chance against the Eagles. Remember, that was um, the, the crazy goal line non-pass interference call. Now, the Chargers just beat them. The 49ers just beat them, and the Bucs just beat them. Every other game, they had a chance to win, and if they get one stop in the Chiefs game, Jordan Love has got the ball with a chance to go win the game. So, we have to sometimes separate... Okay, there is, there is this feeling of doom that can happen for fans. I've experienced this too many times. And it's the bad losses, they always stick out. It's the Chargers games, they stick out. But when you go back and, and really parse it, you go, actually, they've won a lot of those games that you feel like, okay, this was a chance that they could have come out flat and they didn't. Or they could have let down and they didn't. And I think that's a credit to Matt LaFleur. I think it's a credit to the culture that he has built. It's a credit to team leaders like Aaron Rodgers and Adrian Amos and David Bakhtiari that they've kept this team together when it would have been easy to not stay together. So I just, I thought that was worth going through because I know it can be hard It can be hard to be level-headed about this, even for me. And I'm like trying to study it and be as objective about it as I can be. You don't have to be. Uh, Fan is short for fanatic, and that's okay. I I think it's fine for fans to be, you know, far less objective. I think it's fine for them to be totally emotional about these things. I really do. As long as you don't, you know, border into you know, threatening players and saying, you know, being wild on Twitter and, you know, whatever. You're allowed to be emotional about your team and to be irrational. I'm just here to try to balance that a little bit. All right, today's episode brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to check all of your betting needs, find all of your favorite sports and events, at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Baseball, a lot of fun. A lot of fun right now. Trade deadline, heating up. Uh, could be some major names on the move, Juan Soto among them. So, golf, still golf to bet on. And there's football futures, there's NBA futures. We could still get some monster trades in the NBA. So, a lot of fun to be had on the markets. Head to bet online today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the action, bet online where the game starts. And thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen. Now go make your second listen, Locked On NFL. Our NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league because the offseason doesn't mean a break in the action. All right, just want to note one thing. Um, we're going to hear from Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekindst, um today. And so we'll, we'll get some more clarity on the David Bakhtiari issue. My understanding of it right now as we sit here today, and I telegraphed it a little bit yesterday on the show, is that um, there is no long-term concern. Again, there was no long-term concern in the spring, and then this happened, and there was no long-term concern last year, and then he sat the season. So, take that for whatever it's worth. We're going to have more information. We'll talk about it coming up tomorrow follow me on twitter peter underscore bukowski follow the podcast on twitter at locked on packers like us on facebook subscribe to the podcast itunes spotify google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts you will find locked on packers and anytime you want to hit us up on the locked on packers fan hotline you can do that at 920-341-3775 to stay locked on packers